Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Hi, good morning. Welcome to City Beautiful Church. Um, we are going to go into worship, and so we just invite you at your homes this morning to just make yourself comfortable. Um, we invite you to participate and to do what you need to do in order to just become aware of the presence of God around you, um, to just tune in to what He's doing in your heart, um, just join in prayer, uh, whatever the Lord is leading you to this morning, do what you got to do um, as we as we lean in this morning.
Calmed and broken from my weak heart 
this world Through it all, through it all My eyes are on you And it is well with me
before we move into this last song, I just wanted to share a little bit of what has been on my heart as we've been doing, you know, these virtual gatherings. And it's been a blessing that I uh, have been off social media as my Lent um, practice. Um, and so a lot of the times I just kind of have the own, my own stuff I can research available to me, um, which has been pretty good uh, as far as my mental health has been concerned. But just sharing a little bit of, of how I've been processing with the Lord um, in this kind of time, in this Lent season, kind of disconnected for the most part, um, is like this isn't just us coming here and, and doing this, trying to escape the reality of the world. Like this isn't us just coming and, and trying to ignore what's happening for an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday morning inside our homes and just like plugging our ears and closing our eyes and acting like, you know, what's going on around us isn't happening. Um, instead, like what an opportunity for us to like really press into like our, our faith in, in this moment. I was thinking about... Um, the parable of the sower and specifically in Luke 8 verse uh, 13 uh, it says those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it but they have no root they believe for a while but in the time of testing they fall away and I think that like I, I, I just I don't know that's really been on my heart right now is like a lot of times when things like this happen even as believers we're like God where are you God, what's going on? And then a lot of people's reactions to, to really hard things is like, oh, well, let's just like pretend nothing's happening. We're going to do the exact same church service with the exact same pep and, and hope in Jesus. And while those things are all still true, like we do face a reality. And the thing that God told me, I, I feel like I really heard this from him, is that we do not worship situations. We worship the God of the universe. We do not worship good, happy things. We do not worship horrible things. We worship the God of the universe. We don't worship because things are great. We don't worship because things are bad. We worship because we were created to worship. And so what a time, like if that's what we believe, if that's what, I don't know, if, if that's what our faith says about who God is, then what a time, what a time to worship, what a time to believe that all of the things we've believed our whole lives or, you know, whenever we became a believer, born again, whatever you say. Um, yeah, what a time, what, but now to worship um, and really worship and have this worship be real and genuine. And yeah, so that's my heart. It's a little long-winded. That's kind of my style, but I just wanted to share that before we kind of close together. You are here. 
Good morning, church. Thanks so much for worshiping with us. In a second, you'll see some videos from some people, a part of our community. Uh, we wanted to uh, give them a chance to update you on some things and uh, just to give you their general feel on how they're doing during this season. Uh, so enjoy this virtual community time. Good morning, everyone. It's Sam and Kristen Blommel. Arwen's here doing camera work for us, but happy Palm Sunday to you. We miss you all. Wish you he could be with you, but I uh, just want to encourage you with a brief thing. Yeah, so I have been thinking about the ways that the Lord's going to use uh, this time that it is, uh, you know, devastating to a lot of people. Um, I was reminded of this verse in Romans, which is 8.28, and it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose for them. And I just, um, I know about the Lord that He takes whatever the enemy means for destruction um, and he turns around and he makes good out of it. So in the season that we're seeing a lot of destruction around us, I would just challenge you to ask the Lord what your role in bringing redemption is, um, even in a crazy time. Arwen wanted to say hi too. Hello church family, my name is Nick. And I'm Hunter. Um, and Ryan asked us to speak about uh, maybe some things the Lord has been speaking to us over this crazy time. Um, so first off, something that's like been more evident to me is how important community is. Uh, and I'm just happy to see our church community like really being intentional about staying in community and seeing each other uh, and worshiping together even virtually. And it really does make me happy. And um, I feel like this, this time has sort of showed me how important it is as well and maybe how we take it for granted sometimes. Yeah, um, on a similar note of taking things for granted, I feel like the Lord has really uh, called us all to slow down in different ways and has given us gifts of being slow and being still, um, noticing that We've had beautiful weather the last couple of days and actually getting to enjoy it, longing to go for walks and look around and hear the birds singing and just all the little things that we might just ignore or turn up the music in the car as we drive to our next location for the day um, that are just now part of our daily lives, part of the things that we notice and we stop and we pay attention to. And I think that uh, that's very uh, a very special moment of this time. And the Lord's really been calling me to pay attention to those small little miracles of the everyday life. Yeah. Um, also have an announcement to share. Some of you may already know this, but uh, Hunter and I actually got engaged last Saturday. And we'll always remember it as the COVID-19 engagement. Um, I don't know if we want to keep that name or not. Probably not. But yeah, just happy to share that news with you guys. Um, 
and I hope to see you all soon in person. You know, definitely praying about that. Hey City Beautiful fam, I'm videoing in from Las Vegas, Nevada where I'm on a stopover as I'm flying to Idaho where I'll be self-isolating with my mom uh, for weeks or maybe a month, I'm not sure. But I have to admit that I've been kind of trepidatious about this upcoming self-isolation but God has been just talking to me through it and actually last Sunday I talked to a friend that had to isolate for a couple months now. And she just shared what God has been teaching her and it actually paralleled exactly what Ryan talked to us about from the scripture. And I knew that God was just giving me hope and telling me that he has a plan and he's gonna make make the most out of this time, whatever the time looks like for each one of us. So that's what's going on with me. I'm heading into a little bit of an adventure and I'll be um, videoing in, joining the videos on Sundays. I'll look forward to seeing you guys there. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to our Palm Sunday gathering. We're continuing on in our series, Original Jesus. You know, our larger picture for this year, our vision was about maturity in Christ for the sake of the world. And we've been following through the way that Luke is telling Jesus' story, um, kind of for two reasons, to look at Jesus and to say, what does it look like to be truly human in the way that God has designed us, um, knowing that Jesus is our, is our template. He is the pattern of who we are to become through the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, looking at how Jesus is, uh, is leading his followers in a way um, that they, he's challenging them to be thinking about what it means to be mature, to be on the side of God in the way that he's rescuing and redeeming the world. And so today on Palm Sunday, what I wanted to do was to actually tell the whole story of, uh, of the last week of Jesus's life. You know, today, normally what we would be doing is speaking just of Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem as, as Palm Sunday um, intimates, but I wanted to kind of paint the portrait of the whole story. You know, it's amazing looking at the Gospels um, that the writers of the Gospel believed that the story was enough to save the world. Uh, and it's through this being immersed in the story of Jesus and witnessing who he is, um, how he's interacting with different people, how he's standing up against the powers and the principalities, and that eventually that he suffers death and he's buried and he's raised on the third day, that that story, when we allow it to wash over us, uh, begins the process of our salvation. And so rather than teaching today, as you might often find, you know, extracting the, the words of Paul in his letters where he's writing theological treatises on what exactly happened on the cross, um, I'm going to be telling the story today um, and just a couple little observations as we go through it, but I'm actually going to bookend it with two poems um, that Paul has inserted into his letters later on that just give us this really beautiful backdrop for what's happening um, in the story. Story of Jesus. So I'm going to pray. Uh, we're going to get right into this. So Heavenly Father, um, we testify that you are here and that you're with us. Um, and, and right now, uh, with us, it means something a little bit different uh, than we're used to, but in many ways, it's just as true, if not truer. Lord, we believe that it is your spirit, the spirit of Jesus, that binds us all together, that brings us into this space with one another, um, where we can see one another as family, as the people of God. And so, Lord, I pray that even as we're going through this story of the last week of Jesus's life, 
that you would be highlighting specific things to each one of us, that you would make it personal, that we would see ourselves in the faces of those who are witnessing what Jesus says and what he does, um, that we might be saturated in the story of Jesus in such a way that we find day by day more and more we cannot help but become more like him as we open ourselves to the work of your Holy Spirit. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so the first poem that I want to frame this with is in Philippians chapter 2. And many of you will remember that we did the book of Philippians through the fall, asking this question about thinking Christianly. Um, and, And again, to me, this is one of those kind of ground zero portions of scripture. It's a, it's a piece of scripture through which I read so much of the rest of it. And I hope it'll be that for you as well. So this is Psalm, or sorry, Philippians 2 verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." And so we're going to begin the story of Jesus um, on that Sunday before uh, his crucifixion that we call Palm Sunday. And, you know, imagine this is almost 2,000 years in the past. And the, the way that I really like to think about this story especially is that we see Jesus enters into our world with a radical alternative to the way things are. And so Jesus and his disciples, they are coming into the suburbs of Jerusalem, getting ready for the Passover feast, or so they think the disciples do. And Jesus sends some disciples to go in and to find this colt that's never been broken. He's never been ridden or trained. You know, this is kind of like a small, young horse. Um, And they eventually find this colt. They bring it for the master. Um, And Jesus rides this colt in from the Mount of Olives, kind of through the back gate into Jerusalem. And um, the amazing thing is that all of his disciples go on ahead of him cheering and crying out and singing. And what we're actually seeing here is a very subversive uh, political uh, demonstration. This is Jesus making a mockery of the way that Caesar would enter into a city. So when the Romans conquered uh, a nation, Caesar would come in in triumph and there'd usually be a huge train of soldiers and singers and, and people that were cheering and perhaps any slaves that he had taken and he would enter in on a mighty steed kind of through the front gate as a declaration, this is now my kingdom and you are all now my subjects. And so there's a big gate in Jerusalem where Caesar would have done that when he conquered, uh, when he conquered the Judean people. And so when we find Jesus, he's coming in the back door and he's not riding a strong and powerful steed, um, but a small unbroken colt. 
And he isn't being ushered in by his warriors and these slaves, these people who he's conquered uh, in military battle, but his, his own disciples, his followers, the people who have borne witness over three years to everything that he said and he's done. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 37, we, we hear the words of these disciples as they're entering into the city. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to pray God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so these disciples are, are singing and proclaiming Hosanna in the highest, but they're saying this, this is our king. This is our true king, and we are subjects of his kingdom in stark opposition to the king who would have come through the other gate. Caesar is not our true king. His kingdom is not our true kingdom, and we will not be quiet about it. And I'm so inspired uh, by their resolution here to say, yes, this is the hour. This is the moment that the new kingdom is being birthed inside of the old one. And the story continues on that we see several moments in, in that first week. We're talking maybe on uh, Monday and Tuesday where Jesus clears the way for intimacy with God but challenges us to cross over into his new world. So as Jesus is riding around the city of Jerusalem, he begins to weep over her. And he laments that his message of peace is falling on deaf ears, that the status quo of Jerusalem and all of Judea, with the exception of his disciples, means that there's going to be this rising conflict that's going to take place within that very generation. And had they listened to him, perhaps they could have been delivered. And so on Monday, the next day, Jesus goes into the temple and we find that he's, he clears the temple of all of the money makers and, and the people who are selling sacrifices and whatnot. And there's a little bit of context here. What's happening is that this outer court was the space that was held for Gentile worshipers of Yahweh to be able to come to Jerusalem and to worship. But over time, it had been taken over by all these people that are looking to make some money. And the implication there, of course, from the Jewish people is that Gentiles aren't really welcome. They're not really allowed to be part of this thing. And so what Jesus is doing is making a prophetic exp exposition to say, I'm clearing the space for all people, not just Jews, to come back into intimacy with God. I'm literally opening up that space again for them. Right after this, Jesus begins to confront some of the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the kind of religious elite. And he really begins to point the finger in their faces to say, you are responsible not only for not leading God's people into relationship with him, but you've actually created all of these barriers and boundaries for anyone to be able to enter into his presence. And he tells several stories where he's really directly challenging their their authority, and they begin to ask questions about where authority truly lies. 
And as Jesus continues going through the city, he begins to make these prophetic declarations of what's about to happen. He predicts destruction first of the temple, then destruction of all of Jerusalem. He says, not one stone will be left upon another. He predicts that there's going to be wars, that nations are going to rise against nation, that there's going to be incredible persecution of those who are faithful to him, that there's going to be famine. And, and you know, a lot of times we're thinking about these things, especially, you know, in our modern era as we're looking right now at what's going on with this coronavirus crisis. And maybe we think, oh my goodness, this is, this is now. But what's actually happening is something that already happened. All of this came true in AD 70. And this is the key. When Luke chapter 21, we see this in verse 32. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So, just a couple of decades later, in 67 AD, there's a violent uprising among the Jewish people and they actually beat the Romans and for a period of three years, reclaim their land from Roman occupation. But then in AD 70, um, the army of Rome comes uh, rushing back in and lays siege to Jerusalem over a period of several months, starving out the Jewish people until they gave in. And then Rome comes in and destroys the city, literally flattens the entire city and sends the diaspora of the Jewish people out into the known world. And the city of Jerusalem was never the same after that. And the first hearers of Jesus's message, many in this generation, looked around and they saw the signs of nation rising against nation, Rome rising up against Judea and, and the, the back and forth and the, the famine and all of the struggles that were happening and they left and they ran off into the hills and that actually preserved um, the first church because they knew that these were the signs that were to come. And so we find here, you know, a, a very different portrait of Jesus maybe than sometimes we're used to. But it's a Jesus who makes a very stark contrast between living his way and living the ways of the world and that they do, in fact, lead to destruction as we tear ourselves apart. And so it's right after this story that we find this interesting little passage that talks about this being the moment where Satan enters into Judas Iscariot, who goes to the religious elite, the council of, of teachers of the law and scribes, and makes a deal to betray Jesus in order to receive some financial gain. And we're not sure exactly of the motivation of Judas. Some people think that he was just sick and tired and he was completely disillusioned by the revolution that Jesus was bringing, that this isn't the way that he thought it was going to be. For others, they think that maybe Judas, as, um, as a revolutionary, is seeking to kind of kickstart the conflict between uh, Jesus and the status quo. And so he thinks by kind of um, putting them into the same place and kind of challenging that moment that Jesus will kind of rise to action and then everything will take place. We're not sure, but what we do see is that some ways Jesus, Judas becomes disillusioned with the revolution that Jesus is speaking of and goes back to the old ways uh, and we know that he later regrets it. 
And so then we come to Thursday. We come to the actual Passover uh, celebration uh, in the city. So Jesus sends his disciples to go and find an upper room where they can, uh, where they can perform the ceremony together. They can eat together and celebrate uh, the Passover. And I think this is really what helps me to understand uh, why that night was so important. I was on that Thursday at that Passover ceremony that Jesus gives us a symbol of his self-giving love and his promise to be with us always. You see, the Passover meal was a meal of remembrance and, and in, in scriptural imagination to remember doesn't mean to remember this thing that happened once upon a time ago and oh, wasn't that nice, but to remember was actually to take what God did in the past and to bring it into the present moment so that it can happen all over again. And so for the Jewish people, the remembrance of Passover was to say, we're still receiving that deliverance from God even now. And for us as Christians with the Lord's Supper, we're, we're saying the same thing. When we do this in remembrance of Jesus, we're taking what was true then, we're calling it into the present moment and allowing it to become true all over again. And that Passover celebration and remembrance was remembering God delivering his people from Egypt and taking them to the promised land, which is to say to be delivered from a life of slavery and death um, but leading them into a covenantal march toward the promised land, which is a place of freedom, which is a place of living the way that God intended for his people to live. And so Jesus starts to take these symbols and weave it into what it is that he's about to do because he's still trying to prepare his disciples um, for what's going to happen on the cross because they, they didn't think this was the way that it was going to turn out. And so this is that passage in Luke 22. When the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them might be who would do this. And so after this meal, after this ceremony has been finished, um, Jesus goes out to the Mount of Olives again to pray. And we looked at that last week, kind of praying in agony and saying, God, if there's any other way, but you know, not my will, but your will to be done. And when Jesus finishes praying, he comes back to this place where his disciples are. And it's in that moment that Judas, who had agreed to betray him, had run off and had gathered together the guards um, and they were coming to arrest Jesus. And Judas walks up and kisses Jesus to show the guards, this is the man uh, who I am betraying. 
and all of a sudden chaos breaks out in the garden and, and the guards come to seize Jesus. And one of the disciples, and we know this from one of the other gospels, Peter lunges out and he says, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant who happened to be there. And Jesus immediately says, no more of this. And everybody stops in their tracks and he picks up the ear and he heals the high priest's servant and brings back a restoration of his body. And this is such a powerful moment in the life of Jesus as we're seeing this coming of the kingdom, the confrontation of the, the way things are, the status quo of the world is in its inherent violent systems, and then these new ways of the kingdom of God, these new ways of bringing restoration and hope and reconciliation. And we actually find in the writings of one of the early church fathers, Tertullian, in the second century, uh, in reflection upon this story, says this, in disarming Peter, Christ disarms all Christians. And so we find, contrary to the normal way that we would think that we were to do things, that, that violence can solve violence, that it's peace through strength, we find a dramatically different call in Jesus. That when he says, no more of this, he means everyone who comes under my lordship declares, no more of this, no more of this way of being in the world. And it challenges us to begin to ask the question, what does it look like to live in the kingdom as kingdom citizens, to live in the way of King Jesus? And how seriously do we take that call to put every part of who we are under his lordship? To see Jesus as more than just a savior, more than just a friend, um, but to see more, to, than more than just a great teacher, but to actually say, no, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my king, and everything that I am belongs to him. All of my thoughts, all of my feelings, all of my actions are now informed by his kingdom. And so Jesus is arrested, and he's taken to prison. Friday morning comes the day of the trial. And it's on that Friday morning that we see Jesus confronting the powers and principalities with vulnerability and truth. Jesus is taken outside and he's stripped bare and the soldiers, uh, the, they, they mock him and they say, well, why don't you prophesy to us? Like, give us a prophecy. And they dress him up and, and making a mockery of him in this so-called kingship by putting a crown of thorns on his head and draping him in purple robes. He's taken before the council, the religious elite who want to hear about who he is and, and the declaration that he considers himself the son of God. Again, another royal declaration. They accuse him of blasphemy. But because of the way that the Roman occupation worked at the time, the Jewish system, court system, wasn't able to actually condemn anybody to death. And so they take Jesus and they go to the local Roman magistrate. His name was Pontius Pilate. He hadn't been in the position very long. He wasn't very familiar with Jewish customs and Jewish ways of life. And so they present the case to him and initially Pilate does not really want to get involved. He doesn't want, he sees what's happening within the city during this festival period, that there's a huge group of people that seem to adore and follow this religious teacher. And then the religious elite feel totally threatened by who he is. And in the midst of it, he's using this language of being the king of the Jews. And, and Pilate is trying to maneuver um, this potential time bomb. And so instead he finds out 
that Herod, uh, Agrippa, the king over the Galilean region of Judea is in town. And so Pilate takes Jesus and they go to Herod to, to try to get somebody who is Jewish to make arbitration in this case and to determine what are they supposed to do um, with this strange teacher who claims to be the Messiah. And the way that Luke tells the story, Herod is initially delighted to meet Jesus. He's heard the stories about the miracles and the teaching, and he wants Jesus to come and, and to do some miracles for him. Herod wants a song and dance. Again, he doesn't want another king. He just wants to see the, the, what everybody's been talking about. But when Jesus refuses uh, to perform for him, just in the same way that Jesus refused to fight back against the council and he refused to defend himself in front of Pilate, um, Herod becomes furious. And we find this in Luke 23. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. This is just an amazing little moment where we see that the more that it is revealed who Jesus truly is, the more that evil structures of man are threatened. And so evil begins to gather up strength to itself. And we see the religious elite, we see the Jewish authorities, we see the Roman authorities all conspiring together to say, we need to put an end to this. We need to cut down this insurrection so that we can maintain the systems the way they are because they inherently work for us. And so eventually what we find is that Jesus takes, or Pilate takes Jesus out again in front of these angry masses. Again, trying to convince them to just let Jesus go. But instead they demand an exchange of a prisoner and they want the release of Barabbas who was a violent insurrectionist, someone who had been kind of leading an uprising against Rome. Again, the way that many Jews had hoped that the Messiah would act. They wanted a Messiah. They wanted somebody who would claim to be the king to be the leader, but to come in and through violence and strength and swords to reclaim Judea and to reestablish the nation of Israel. And so these violent uh, crowds demand, we want Barabbas, which is for them to really say, no, we want to do things our way. And this message that comes from God in the person of Jesus, we don't believe in that. We would rather that he dies. And so Jesus is condemned to death. And not only is it any form of death, it's the most shameful death that was available in the first century, a death of crucifixion. And what happened here was that someone was meant to carry their cross through the city as the crowds hurled insults at them and beat them up. And it was a total moment of shame. And they carried the cross outside of the city and they were, they were crucified on the outskirts of the city, which is to say, you're no longer part of decent society. You've been stripped of your dignity. You've been stripped of your humanity. And this becomes, and what is a dramatic irony, perhaps the most dramatic irony in all of human history, this becomes the, the symbol of our faith, of the Christian faith. It's because we believe that Jesus on the cross is the best demonstration of what God is really like. 
that we believe this man carrying this torture device to the outskirts of the city to be stripped naked, to hang on a cross until he eventually painfully dies from blood loss and suffocation, to say, we point at that and we say, that is not an exception. That is not a strange little aside to the story of God. That is the best vision we have of what God is truly like. And all other stories and analogies and metaphors and words about God must submit to that image. That God is Jesus hanging on the cross for our sins. I want to read the last portion of the story as we're finishing up here. And I would encourage you, maybe in this moment, to, to close your eyes if you, if you can. Um, to not necessarily read along, but just to allow those images to say, keep telling yourself every moment of the story, everything that Jesus says and does, to say, that's God. That's what God looks like. This isn't the exception to the rule. This is the heart of God on display for the whole world. And just to allow the Spirit to immerse you in this part of the story. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until th three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The crowds and the rulers the soldiers, even one of the criminals, they're yelling at Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you save yourself? 
if you can really claim to be God's anointed one, why can't you do something to get yourself out of this situation? But they miss the beauty of this image of God, this way of saving the world from itself. That Jesus saved others, Jesus saved us by not saving himself. If you and I were to write the story, we probably would have gone in a dramatically different turn. That we would have amassed an army, we would have looked for the strongest and the bravest and the most capable. We looked for the person that is able to stand up in the middle of the crowd and say, I'm the one that's going to lead us and I'm going to overthrow all these systems and I'm going to reestablish order and, and bring goodness to the land. And we certainly would expect that of our God, that he would rise up, sword in his, arm, in his hand, and that he would beat up the bad guys and that he'd reclaim the land and he'd give us what we deserve. But that's not the story of the God revealed in Jesus. Jesus saves us by not saving himself. That Jesus takes the sin of the world, the heap of all of our anger and our violence and our rebellion against God, he takes all of that into himself and he buries it in his body and he kills sin and death through his resurrection. The cross reveals to us sin as being utterly sinful. That the status quo of the world when we are in charge is not the world that God desires. For we rule through violence and oppression but God rules through self-giving love and sacrifice. And that is what saves the world. And that is what saves you and me. To finish, I wanted to read another poem of Paul's. This one found in the letter uh, to the church in Colossae. He says this, when you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. My friends, my brothers, my sisters, my family, I pray that this week would be one of you being immersed in the story of Jesus, not as you would like him to be, but the Jesus as he truly is. And that through being immersed in his story and being led where he desires to lead you, you might actually find salvation for your soul. That there is another way to be human, that there is another world being birthed in the midst of this old one, but it requires us to respond, to enter into his world, to give over everything we are, to say Jesus is Lord, and that is good news. Heavenly Father, I pray that this week we would gather ourselves back around the story of Jesus and that more than being a great teacher 
or an inspiration or a good friend or even just being our Savior, that we would be able to commit ourselves to Him as our Lord, as our King, King Jesus. And Lord, whatever you want to do in this week as we sit in that tension, that expectation, that terror of the death of God, I pray that when we pass through that on the other side, that we can receive and experience the reality of resurrection, new life. That we come into the celebration and the beauty that Easter is because we have sat in the tension of Palm Sunday, of Maundy Thursday, of Good Friday, of Holy Saturday. Continue to teach us and guide us, Lord, now and forevermore. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks everybody uh, for joining uh, us this morning. I hope that this is encouraging to you. Um, just a couple things. Um, I want to encourage you uh, to give. I'm going to pray in just a moment for giving. Um, so you, there's several ways that you can do that. You can go to our website, citybeautiful.ch give, and you can sign up for reoccurring giving or one time. Um, you can also text this number here, um, which is a very convenient way to do that. Um, and as I said, you know, we're continuing to open up our benevolence fund for special gifts. So on top of giving of your tithes and offerings, I want to encourage you to invest in that benevolence fund so that we can really take care of one another. Um, whatever happens with the economy and with people's jobs and financial security over the next couple months, we want to be ready so that we can practically be the church to one another. If you or anyone you know is in a position where you need financial help, um, you can apply for that online as well at citybeautiful.ch benevolence. There's a few basic questions there um, on how we can contact you. Uh, what's your current situation? What is your specific ask? And our amazing, amazing team uh, are standing by waiting to prayerfully consider each request that comes through and to be able to sow seeds of the kingdom through our finances. Um, the other thing that I want to put on your radar is that this coming Friday is Good Friday. And if you have been around for a while, you know the past several years we have had a kind of immersive uh, sound and visual uh, journey uh, through the last moments of Jesus. Um, kind of our own version of the Stations of the Cross, um, which of course we can't do in person uh, this year, but we are going to do it online. So we're going to use this same platform, um, citybeautifulch.online.church, and we're all going to tune in at seven o'clock on Friday, and we're going to go through that Good Friday experience together digitally. So I highly encourage you, put that on your calendar now, we'll come together, uh, and we'll just kind of be further immersed in the last moments of Jesus' life uh, before um, his death and then his resurrection. And then of course on Sunday, next Sunday, we celebrate that resurrection in Easter. Uh, so come early at 10.10 a.m. so we can chat. I, I, I want all of you to wear your Sunday best. I'm going to wear a full suit even though I'm going to be sitting at my computer with you. Uh, and we're going to celebrate resurrection. We're not going to allow uh, this isolation to keep us uh, from being resurrection people. Um, so this Friday, Good Friday, 7 p.m., I'll see you then. And then next Sunday, 10, 10 a.m., uh, God bless you and go with you.
this has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.